0: Now, um, if the children who are going to Sunday school, such as they are, so you, just a few we've got this morning, uh, would like to go with the teachers now. And uh, please can the rest of us uh, turn in our Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and um, this is page 1,147 in the church Bibles, and uh, we're going to. I've got to read from verse 11 um, to verse 16. What plan this morning is just to focus on on uh, verses. Um, uh, 13 to 16, but uh, I think it'd be helpful for us to read uh, the verses that we thought about last week as well. Um, So 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord... We persuade others. But what we are is known to God and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us. So that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. So please keep your Bible open there and now let's come to God and ask for his help as we consider his word. Almighty God, we thank you for your precious and holy word and for the way in which it speaks to us. And Father, we confess to you our need of the spirit this morning. Lord, without your spirit then uh, nothing of any significance will happen. But please do give your spirit. Please pour out your spirit. Please, Lord, help me to be able to declare your word. And please, Lord, cause your spirit to work in each one of us, to cause each one of us to uh, receive your word and to be changed by it. We ask through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last Sunday morning we started to consider this passage and we noted how in the whole of this passage from verse 11 to verse 16 there are two controlling ideas that are working in the apostle's mind there's the he's very much aware Firstly, of the fear of God. He knows that he's answerable to God. And he's going to have to give an account to him. Even though he's saved, he knows there's no condemnation. He knows that he's right with God. He knows God has forgiven his sins. But nevertheless, he knows that he ne- he's going to need to give an account to God for his life. And on the other hand, he also, at the same time, is driven by a consciousness of the love of Christ. He knows that he's loved by Christ. Now, you might think that those two are a sort of contradiction. How could you fear God if you know that you're loved by God? Or how can you love God if you know you should also fear? But although they might appear to be a contradiction, actually they're not they go hand in hand, they work together hand in hand to give a healthy approach to the Christian life. If we only had the fear of God we would serve him like sort of slaves without any real love. If on the other hand we only had had a sense of the love of God there's a danger we might take God for granted and And not properly respected. But we need to have this biblical combination of the fear of God and also the love of God. Now, uh, last time we were thinking mainly about the fear of God. And we were thinking about verses 11 and 12 principally. And we we saw how uh, this knowledge of the fear of God led Paul to want to persuade others. He knew that he was going to have to give an account to God to, for whether he had done what he could to, to lead others to come to Christ and to believe in him. And also that fear of God led him to live his life before God, aware that all that he's doing is answerable to him. And uh, he explained this to the believers in Corinth because he knew there was a danger that they might misunderstand him. There were these new teachers who'd come into the church, and they were drawing comparisons between themselves and Paul. And they say, "Oh, you don't, you don't want to follow Paul because look at Paul—he's—he's—he's he's, he's weak. He gets ill. He hasn't got much money." He, he he's, he's, he's nothing really very, but we, we are the ones who've got the favour of God we've got strength, we've got money and so on and Paul's saying look, I need to explain this to you that I'm, being, I'm walking in a fear of God so you can answer those who boast about the outward appearance and not about what is in the heart, verse 12 now this leads us to the second main thing which, which um, motivated and drove Paul, which is this sense of the love of Christ. And the key phrase, really, is in, these, in these verses that we're thinking about is the beginning of verse 14, where he says, The love of Christ controls us. And as we think about this 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 uh, this idea of being controlled by the love of Christ, I'd like us to do so under three main headings. First of all, I want us to think about just what that means. What does it mean to be controlled by the love of Christ? Secondly, I want us to think about uh, how that love of Christ has been shown how we've ex- we who are Christians have experienced the love of Christ. And then I want us to think about what should be the practical effects in our lives of being controlled by the love of Christ. So let's think about these three things now. And so the first thing is this. What it means to be controlled by the love of Christ. So that phrase again that we got there uh, in, in verse, uh, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Now the first thing we need to just think about is when he says the love of Christ here. Is he talking about our love for Christ? Or is he talking about Christ's love for us? What is its controlling? And the answer to that question is it's the second. It can't be the first because, naturally speaking, our love for Christ is so weak. In our natural state, we don't have any love for Christ. And even once we're born again, our love for him is is very, very, uh, very, very much not... As much as it should be. But the thing which really affects the true Christian is... Christ has loved me. It's his love for us. Which, which really affects us, or should affect us. Now, the second thing under this heading is... What does it mean then when it says... The love of Christ controls us. The, it's translated in, in other uh, translations, in the, in the NIV, in the New King James. The love of Christ compels us. Or in the, uh, in, in, in the uh, Old King James Version, it's translated as the love of Christ Constraineth us. The idea in the in, in the underlying Greek word, there is this idea of being limited, being sort of confined by something. It's used that uh, this same word is used quite often in the New Testament to describe. A person who is ill. When someone is ill in bed. That person is. Well we say sometimes don't we in English. That person is confined to bed. Limited. Confined. Restrained. Not able to do what they, what he or she might otherwise want to do. It's also used at one point. To describe how the, the armies of Rome would, would hem in the people of Jerusalem. And, and stop them from escaping. And so. Uh, What this is saying is that for us who believe, the love of Christ, as it were, squeezes us and limits us and stops us from doing things which are unloving, which are selfish or which are dishonouring to God. So the Apostle is saying here, knowing how much Christ had loved him and knowing how much Christ had loved his people, uh, the Lord was restraining him and channeling his energy in the right direction. Perhaps I can illustrate it like this, if you'll excuse a fairly mundane illustration, but maybe it might click with some of us. Uh, Some of us probably most of us, I should imagine, have had a dab hand sometimes of icing a cake. And you know how fluting with a cake works. You get hold of one of these sort of bags that's got a funnel shape in it. You put in, scoop in the, the icing mixture and you close off the end of the bag and you've got a nozzle at the end of that bag and you, you 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 squeeze that bag. And as you squeeze that bag down, a thin little piece of icing comes out at the end which you can then use to you know, either write "Happy Birthday" on the cake, or do some little stars around the edges, or something else like that. So your your the the icing is confined and squeezed in such a way as it as it makes it way makes its way down to where you want it to be. So God constrains the Christian, and as it were, squeezes him with the knowledge of his love in such a way as really there's only one thing we can do, which is which is to honour him and to be loving towards others. So that's the first thing, what it means. Now, then I want us to consider, secondly, how the love of Christ is seen. And uh, we see this in verses 14 and 15. And there are two main ways in which we who are Christians experience the love of Christ That is spoken of in this passage of course there's other ways it could be spoken about of course but I'm talking about what is actually spoken of in this passage and the two main ways are this number one in terms of Christ showed his love by his death for us on the cross but also God has shown his love Christ has shown his love by causing us to come alive to him, we who are believers, so that we, we, we believe what he's done for us and we experience his power in our lives. So these, these things are spoken of in verses 14 and 15. Let's first of all then consider uh, the, 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 how we, we see Christ's love in his death for us. So the Apostle says in the middle of verse, well I'll just read from the beginning of verse 14 again. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. One has died for all. Now that very short little phrase there, one has died for all for all summarises in a very succinct way, very precise way the essence of the Christian message. The great good news. Christ has died in the place of his people. And he died as a substitute. Now, For us to understand this, we must understand the position that we are in in our natural selves. You and I, we are all sinners, we have all broken God's laws. innumerable numbers of times, thousands upon thousands upon thousands of times, we have broken the law of God. In things that we've, we've done, things that we've said, and also things that we've thought. Remember, God sees your thoughts, he sees my thoughts, and he knows when we are having ungodly and wrong thoughts, let alone actions. When we entertain wrong thoughts in our minds. And we have broken God's law time and time and time again. And the punishment that we deserve for the wrong that we've done is death. The wages of sin is death, the Bible says. And that death is in three forms in terms of spiritual death, being separated from God, physical death, dying, our bodies dying. But worst of all, eternal death. Being sent to hell to be punished for our sins forever and ever. And we are utterly unable to save ourselves from that punishment that we deserve. Because there's no payment that we can make that is sufficiently good to be able to pay that huge debt that we owe God. For all the ways in which we've sinned. But for us who believe. God has done what we cannot do. He sent his one and only son into the world. And he, Jesus, lived a perfect life. And then he died on the cross. And when he died on that cross, he died in our place. We deserved to die, but he died for us. We deserved to go to hell, but he experienced the pains of hell on our behalf as he hung on that cross. And so at the very heart of the message of Christianity is the idea of substitution. Jesus died in our place. He was punished for us so that we can be forgiven. Now, uh, there is a question here which we probably should address um, as to who is being spoken of when he talks about all here. Christ died for all. One has died for all. Who are the all? Um, is, Jesus, is this passage saying that Jesus has died, has actually paid for all the sins of everybody in the whole world? Uh, some of you will be aware of of. A doctrine which which is upheld in this church, which is which is called the doctrine of particular redemption, that Christ specifically paid for the sins of those whom God had chosen to save before the creation of the world. So, when this verse says that Christ, that one has died for all, is this saying that that this doctrine of particular redemption is mistaken? The answer is no, because if we look carefully at the verse, it's clear that when the apostle is talking about all, he's talking about all of the Lord's people. Because he says, uh, the love of Christ controls us because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, and therefore all have died. How have all died in that context? It's they died in Christ, through their union with Christ. So who are they? They are the believers. And he died for all that those who live might live no longer for themselves but for him who who died for their sake and was raised. Who is that? Who is that spoken of there? Again it is believers. So when the apostle is talking about about, uh, Christ one dying for all. He's speaking about how Christ has died for all of the people of God. So here is this amazing and wonderful thing that God has done for us. That he gave his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die in the place of sinners. And if you are a true believer, then this means that Christ has died for your sins. Your sins are paid. You don't need to worry about them at all because they are paid for in their entirety. Even the sins that you will commit in the future are all entirely paid for by Jesus' death on the cross. And God the Father raised him from the dead in order to prove and to demonstrate that he was fully satisfied with the punishment that Jesus made for our sins. So what amazing love we see demonstrated here in the cross. That the father was willing to give his son, his only begotten son, to die in our place. To, to, be, to, to take on human flesh and to live a life of suffering and then to die a, a, a death of unspeakable agony upon the cross. And what great love that the Lord Jesus showed by willing to bear each one of our sins all of our specific sins were laid upon him and he paid for all of them one by one the pain that he must have endured upon that cross would have been beyond our totally beyond our comprehension his love is 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 Vast beyond any possible measure so this is how the love of God is seen in in Jesus dying in our place and other scriptures speak about this as well Paul writes in that passage we read from Romans chapter 5 verse 7For one can one will scarcely die for a righteous man though for a good man. Perhaps for a good person, someone would dare even to die. But God shows his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What amazing love he has shown. And again, John says in, in his first letter, chapter 4 uh, and, verse, and verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifest among us. Among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So God has shown his great love for us in, 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 in Jesus dying for our sins, but also he's shown his great love for us in applying to us that salvation you see if if jesus had died on that cross but then we'd never believed it would have done us no good and in our natural state none of us would have believed but god has graciously worked in us who who belong to him to move us to repent of our sins and to believe upon him and this is what is spoken of in, in those verses which I read just now, the second half of verse, uh, or just at the end of verse 14 and into verse 15. He died for all, and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for, for their sake, who died and was raised. You see, what's happened is that is that those that the Lord has chosen, he he works in them to cause them to be united with Jesus in, in his death and united with him in his resurrection. Now, this would never happen to us naturally. Naturally, every one of us would have just completely disregarded what God has done. We'd have gone our own way. We'd have said, I'm, I'm not interested. i, I and you may have unbelieving family and friends and you try to talk to them about Christianity they say, well, what do you, why should I be interested they've they got no desire for God they've got no interest, they've got no belief and that's how you used to be, that's how I used to be and then suddenly God stepped in he opened your eyes he opened my eyes, why did he do that was it because there was anything good about you were you any better than anybody else? Were you any more religious than anybody else? Any more? Had you lived a better life than anybody else? Not at all. Neither had I. But out of his great love and his great kindness, the Lord graciously stepped in. And if you're a Christian, he graciously stepped in and he made you alive to himself. He united you with Jesus in his death and he united Him in his, his resurrection. In Jesus' resurrection, and brought you to that point where you are alive to God, and therefore benefiting from uh, that salvation. Uh, John uh, Paul writes in, in Ephesians, having in Ephesians 2, having described the, the deadness that, that the believers were in before God worked in them, he then described, he then says this: Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God. Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, undeserved kindness, you've been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's because of His love that the Lord has made us alive. But for His gracious intervention, we would be as dead as anybody else. So then, we've seen then what it means to be controlled by the love of God. It's being constrained. It's being funneled by, squeezed as it were, by the love of God. We've thought about how that love was shown by the fact that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, but also by the way in which the Lord worked in us graciously to move us to accept and believe what the Lord had done. Now then, how should this affect us? How does how, how is it that this 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 being controlled by the love of Christ, actually works out in our lives. Well, the Apostle speaks about three ways in this passage, about how he is constrained, controlled by the love of Christ. The first is actually a bit before our central verse. Uh, Verse 13. Just, Just look at that now if you've got your Bible open still. 2 Corinthians 5. Verse 13. He says... If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now this verse is a little bit puzzling at first, because you think, what's Paul talking about being out of his, or besides himself, for God? It, it's it's a verse that's, that, that, that word that, that's translated besides himself, is actually used in some points to describe you know, a person who's mad, who's, who's mentally ill, who's, who's, who's not thinking rationally. And you might say, well, why would Paul say that he there are periods when he doesn't think rationally for God? That sounds, that sounds really odd. But in fact, if you look at the ways, if you go through the New Testament, I don't have time to do this for you today, but if you actually go through the uses of that word uh, in the New Testament, you find actually a lot of places it talks about, People being amazed, people being gobsmacked, as we might say, or, you know, astounded, astonished. It's, 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 and he's saying, if we are amazed at God, we think, wow, God is such a, so wonderful and, and fantastic. And, and we're prepared to do, make huge sacrifices for him and act in a way which other people might say, oh, you're being really crazy because you love him so much he says, well, we do that for the Lord's sake. But then he says, if we're in our right mind, it's for you. See, he, he knows, so if he was to sort of really go, go, you know, let, let it all hang out as he wants and say, you know, how much he loves God and, and, and was sort of to, to um, express himself in a very, very exuberant way about God, well that might not do the people around him very much good. So, when he's, for, for the sake of, of of the people that he's with, he has a, he has a it says in our right mind, again, not perhaps the best translation, he says, we, 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 we have sober, we, 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 we think in a sober way. And so, I think what with what the Apostle is here really saying is that, is that knowing the love of Christ means that he doesn't just think, oh, how would I like to praise God, for example, when when he's in church? You know, he he might have wanted to sort of dance around and scream and shout and say how wonderful God is, but hang on a minute, that might not do people very much good. So he's going, for for the other people, for the sake of those who are there, he speaks in a rational way. Sensible way, so that they can be built up, and that's something perhaps we can apply to ourselves. Then, secondly, he says that the love of the knowledge of the love of God leads him to serve God in his life. Look again; we've we're already referred to it, but look again at verse uh, 15. He died for all, so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. So, he's saying the knowledge of the love of God leads us to want to live not for myself, leads me to want not to live for myself, but for him who died my sake and was raised again. Now this applies to us all, should apply to us all. The knowledge that God has loved you, the knowledge that God has loved me so much that he gave his only begotten son, well surely that should make me want to please God in my name. You know, Paul says, doesn't he, in Romans 12, in in view of God's mercies, he says, Offer your bodies to God as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Surely, if we would only remember just how much God has loved us by giving his son Jesus to die for us, we would never really want to worship any idols again, would we? We would never want to uh, dishonour God by misusing his, his day. Why, the Lord has loved me so much that he gave Jesus for me. Well, I wouldn't want to dishonour my loving Heavenly Father by dishonouring my parents. Surely, how could we do that when, when the Lord has loved me so much? And when the Lord has loved me so much that he's, he's bought my body by his own blood, how could I misuse my body by getting drunk or by taking drugs or by being sexually immoral when this when the Lord Jesus has bought my body with his holy precious blood he 's given his life for me how can I dishonor him or how when the Lord has been so loving to me and he's blessed me with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How could I want to be greedy and materialistic and mean and selfish and, 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 uh, and steal when he's done that for me? Paul says in, in, um, in, in Galatians how he says, he says, I am crucified with Christ. And and uh, he says, he says uh, verse Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Think about that. Do you ever say that to yourself? Jesus died for me. What, me? Why would he die for me? He might have died for others, but why would he die for me? But he did. He died for you. He had you in mind. This is the whole thing about this, the doctrine of particular redemption. He had you in mind. You're a named person, as it were. And your sins are named on that cross. And he they that. They're nailed above his head, as it says in Colossians. That long list of all your offenses, nailed to the cross. Specifically paid for. He died, he loved you. Can you not love him back? Can you not serve him back? Can you not say, alright then, I will love you. Would you not bear some suffering, a bit of suffering for him? You're not going to have to suffer as much as he suffered. But will you not bear a bit of suffering? A little bit of ill health? A little bit of of people not being nice to you? A little bit of discouragement? Will you not bear that for his sake? Who loved you so much? Surely that should be the, the thrust of this. That knowing the love of Christ. Of course I'll serve him. Of course I'll give my all. Why would I want to... Make football my idol when I've got Jesus as my saviour. Jesus has died for you. What is football next to Jesus? What is money next to Jesus? What is your career next to Jesus? What is having a wonderful relationship next to Jesus? Has anybody done what Jesus has done for you? Has any man or any woman ever done what Jesus has done for you? Of course not. So love him and serve him because he has loved you. And then thirdly, knowing that we are loved by God should lead us to a completely different view of others. Verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. See, before we came to Christ, we used to regard people according to the flesh, according to a human point of view, didn't we? We would consider such things as so, what color is this person's skin? What country does he or she come from? What social group does he or she belong to? How much money does he earn? How attractive is he or she? and what we would do is we would categorize people we would like sort people out into sort of like you know desirables, tolerable and intolerable and we 'd sort of like you know and the desirables we would gravitate towards the the tolerable, we would sort of like, all right, maybe be polite to them. And the intolerable, we would have nothing to do with. And, that, and that's, that's, the way, that's the way we all are naturally, isn't it? And for of the world says we shouldn't be racist, we shouldn't be classist, or we shouldn't be sexist, and all the rest of it, that's what everybody does. You can't stop them that's, that's, because that's the way people are naturally. But when you're in Christ, it all changes. Because once you become a Christian, you see people totally differently. You say, everybody is either a Christian or a non-Christian, either a saved or unsaved, a brother or sister, or not a brother or sister. That's the only. There's only really two categories of people from a from a spiritual point of view. From 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 When you know the love of Christ, and you know that Christ has loved you, you, that's the way you think about people. And so that affects your entire way of relating with people. So, what about first category, believers? Well, once you know the love of Christ... You say about a fellow believer, this is a precious child of God. This is somebody who's been bought with the blood of Christ. This is somebody who is a prince, who is a king, who is a son or daughter of the Most High God, an ambassador of Christ. This is somebody really important, somebody really precious, somebody really valuable. This is somebody who is part of my family. And so, of course, you have to love this one. The love of Christ that you've experienced makes you say, I must love him or her. I can't do anything else. So... He or she might have offended you. Well, and and, and and they might say, will you forgive me? Well, how can I not forgive you? When Jesus has forgiven me, all of my sins, how can I not forgive you? And, you know, you, you might have a brother or a sister who is a bit aggravating. We all tend to be aggravating to each other, don't we? But... How can I not bear with you in the way that you aggravate me when Christ has borne with me in the way that I aggravate him? How can we not bear with one another as Christ has borne with us? And when the Lord has been so generous with us and he's opened up the treasures of heaven to us, how can we not as... Love and show kindness and generosity to our brothers and sisters. As Jesus said, give as as you have received. Freely give. Freely receive. Freely give. Surely we we have to be generous with our brothers and sisters when the Lord has been so kind to us. And yes, we will. As a matter of love, sometimes need to challenge sin when we see it because there will be sin, there will be failure. In fact, love means that we must challenge wrong behavior, but we will do so with kindness and with humility and gentleness. This is is a precious child of God you're dealing with. And then what about the second category? What about those who are not yet believers? Well, again, the love of Christ constrains us. Are they sinners? Well, so was I, a sinner. What makes you different? What makes different from from this person who is living a life of gross and terrible sin? The only difference is that you and I have received the grace of God, but he or she has not yet. It's the only difference. Intrinsically, you and I know better than they are. They're but for the grace of God go up. We'd be just the same. How can we look down upon somebody who is entangled and enslaved in sin? How can we say, oh, look at them, how terrible they are. How can we do that? When but for God's intervention, we would be exactly the same, if not worse. And so... The love of Christ constrains us, controls us. It dominates our thinking. We say, this is a person who is lost. This is a person who's on his or her way to hell. I must pray for this person. I must love this person. I must tell this person the good news about Christ. Moreover, this one might be, we don't know, But this one might be one of the Lord's elect, one of the Lord's chosen ones. This might be one of those special ones for whom Jesus died. We don't know who the elect are and who the non-elect are. We've got no idea. We don't know who God is going to save. So we have to assume that everybody we encounter could be one of the Lord's chosen people. And so we need to again show that special Kindness and urge that one to come to Christ and be prepared to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Paul says in his second letter to Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8, he says, Remember Christ Jesus risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering Bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Now then listen to this. He says, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect. That they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Seems like he's saying, I don't know who the elect are. But I'm enduring everything so that they may be saved. Whoever they are. So what we've seen then is today, in conclusion, we've seen how for the Christian, the love of Christ controls him. We've seen that this is a, talking about the love of Christ constraining us and as it was squeezing us into the pattern that God wants us to follow. We've seen how that love of Christ has been shown in that he died for our sins on the cross and in that he made us alive with himself we've seen how this should work out practically in terms of 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 being sober minded when we're with other christians in terms of of living our lives for god and in terms of how we relate with others we view people from god's perspective rather than from our own worldly perspective but as we finish, I want to just ask you a question. And I need to ask this question because it's possible there might be somebody who's not a Christian. It's possible there might be somebody who's not born again. And I need to ask you this question Do you know this? I'm not saying are you perfect because none of us are perfect. But do you know anything of this? Do you know what it means to be constrained by the love of Christ? Do you know the love of Christ in your own life? Have you been born again? Do you have any real faith in Jesus? It could be the danger is that you might have grown up in a church or, or made some sort of nominal profession of faith in Christ without ever really knowing the power of these things. Without ever really knowing the love of Christ in your own life. Do you know him? You see, being a Christian is more than just outwardly living a moral life. It's more than just believing a few doctrines about God. It's knowing the Lord himself. And knowing his love. And being changed by him. Has that happened to you? John writes in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 14. He says, we know that we've passed out of death to life because we love our brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Are you a lover or are you a hater? Do you have, are you right with God or are you a murderer? The Bible, it's very clear, it's very, you know, people don't say they don't like um, just two options in life. Well, the Bible often does that. It says you're either one or the other. You're either saved or you're unsaved. You either know the love of God or you're alienated. Which is it for you? And if you're in any doubt at all, I urge you, come to Christ. Look to Him to be your Savior. Jesus is offering you Himself forgiveness of sins and new life. And He's ready to throw His arms around you. He's ready to, God the Father is ready to shower His love upon you. But you must come to Him. You must receive him. You must come to him that you might know his life and his love. Well, may God uh, write his word upon our hearts. Could we sing our next hymn, um, which.